Good day, and welcome to Sea to Ski with Sarah and T, putting the P in professionally managed vacation rentals. This is the Vacation Rental Management Professionals Podcast, coming to you from the Outer Banks of North Carolina and from the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. I'm Sarah Bradford from Winter Park and Steamboat Springs. And I'm Tim Cafferty from the Outer Banks of North Carolina and Sandbridge, Virginia. Together, we bring you the first podcast focused solely on professionally managed vacation rentals across the nation, or as we like to call it, Sea to Ski with Sarah and T. In the next 30 minutes, we hope you'll join us on our journey as we dive into issues affecting folks like us, the professional vacation rental manager, allowing you to run your business more effectively, make more money, And most importantly, have fun doing it. We're back. Hey, how are you doing, Tim? And we're better than ever. And we're together. And we have a third person with us again today on the spirit of interviewing some other vacation rental owners who possibly could know something we don't, Tim. Is that even possible? (laughs) That's not not only possible, it's not hard. So it is Sea to Ski with Sarah and T and Peter today. Peter Reberg is with Hello. Hi, Peter. How are you guys doing today? Good. So Peter's from Summit Cove over in Keystone, Colorado, about three, three hours from where we are right now. And Tim's here with me. Am I allowed to say you're here with me? I guess so. Okay. Tim's here with me in Steamboat. So we are going to be talking with Peter about some owner acquisition and sales points to new owners and just chat up some topics. Peter has been, I'm going to let him talk for himself, but he's been in this business just about as long as I have. And I've been buddies with Peter sharing our woes in the ski rental market for several years. So we're really excited to have Peter. His wife also works with him, Sherry. They live in Golden, Colorado. If you guys ever heard of that, where Coors Light is. That's my favorite beer. (laughs) Just down the street. I can see it right now. Peter, tell us a little bit about Summit Cove and your history. Sure. Well, I kind of stumbled into this industry by accident. I ended up buying a little dinky one-bedroom condo up near Keystone in a neighborhood called Summit Cove. And and these days, it's known as the Cove to most locals. And unbeknownst to me, it was not really a great vacation spot. It's more of a place for permanent residents for most of my employees. I had this little one-bedroom condo. I started renting it out. Uh, At the time, I was working as an engineer, aerospace company. It was just kind of my side thing. People kept calling me at work, and I didn't want to be called anymore. So I created a website and started developing software on the back end in order to run the company. By about 2006, I was laid off from my full-time job. I had about 12 properties managed. That summer, it was a do-or-die thing. It's either go get another job, which I didn't really want to do, or do this new cool thing that I was really interested in doing. So I spent my life that one summer in 2006 driving back and forth to Keystone and building the company. By the opening day of Keystone that year in 2006, I went from 12 properties to 63 properties all by myself. I was taking reservations, talking to new owners, and I wasn't sleeping one bit. It's been kind of a ride. I've been doing this uh, again since 2001, so it's been 17 years almost exactly now. Today, we are just a hair under 300 properties, and just due to the good real estate market in Keystone, kind of waver up and down by a few properties almost daily now, it seems like. A lot of real estate transactions happening right now, so that's kind of what we're all about. Well, you have been tabbed as the first 
rocket scientist to ever appear on our podcast. But <laughs> seriously, how do you think that background helped you with this or did it at all? It helped me a lot. Property management, in my opinion, is really nothing more than problem solving. And that's what engineers do. They solve problems. I also like automation and technology as well. So if <laughs> this is kind of my motto, if the phone rings five times with the same question, we obviously don't have the information in the right place and are not getting that information to the right people at the right time. So how do we solve that so my phone stops ringing? And I do actually like talking to people. I know most engineers will put foil over the window and hermit themselves down. I actually do like talking to people. But I just don't like answering the same questions over and over again. Really, it's just a lot about problem solving. There's some really creative solutions in this business to make a guest happy and make an owner happy to just give yourself an edge on marketing or whatever else you might be doing. I will tell you that since I've known Peter, there's no problem that he doesn't try to tackle. I want to make sure you guys all heard that Peter created his own software. He had software developers plus himself coding and creating a huge software program. He's now left that, sadly, maybe, to him. I, I have. So it was, it was a really cool platform. It looked beautiful. It worked very well. But the problem with writing your own software, especially something that is old in the software world, which is even just five years is pretty old in the software world. So you need to be continuously developing and updating. With the software, it was actually 16 years old last year when we made the switch to an off-the-shelf company. It takes maintenance, and we just kept throwing more money at the hosting company to keep, keep this thing alive. And you can't do that. You do have to actually go back and rewrite old routines and stuff like that. So it was just... One of those things where I can pay a certain amount for a subscription to a company that is ongoing and maintaining this, or I can spend a lot more money trying to maintain it myself with no real goal of selling the software. This is all self-serving, so just much more expensive route to go, but I can tell you when it's tailored fit to your company, it's pretty dang nice. There really are not too many issues. Well, I, I love you sharing that because even when you created this perfect software you loved... When we all sit around and go, man, I should just build my own software, it's not as easy as it sounds. And sometimes you have to leave that dream and go to a out of the box. But anyway, let's get to some topics we wanted to talk about with Peter. Peter's been obviously very successful with adding new owners, going from 6 or 12 to when you were laid off in 2006, I think you said, yep. and just going to 63 or whatever it was that first summer into ski season and now to 300 and of course you've said goodbye to some as you've gone away gone along so I'm sure you've probably dealt with 750 owners at this point so let's talk about I call it new owner marketing some people call it owner acquisition and it's a topic that Tim and I have not discussed much on the podcast yet I think we both think it's it's vital that you're always growing. And as the, a property sells, you have another one lining up in the back, even if you are not growing, even if you don't want to go from 100 to 200, I think you still need to be doing acquisition. So what are some strategies recently you've done? What has proved successful? Sure. You know, I'm going to back up for one second because you had mentioned, I had mentioned the growth track of 12 properties to 63 and then so on and so forth. The funniest way that I actually track this is not through anything in the computer or anything like that. Every year at Christmas time, it's our family tradition to create our own Christmas balls with pink pens and just clear glass balls. And so we write about or make designs on these Christmas balls to hang on the tree of the biggest accomplishments or coolest things that happen throughout the year. We, we each make like five balls, right? 
and every year I always make a Summit Cove ball. <laughs> so actually a few of these fell off the tree and broke, so I had to remake them, but that's kind of how I track uh, the growth of the company. So moving on to your question, as far as kind of new owner acquisition, we really basically just do a lot of the classic type of, type of things. And it's it's not something that you can just do once and forget about. You have to do it ongoing. And the first thing I'm going to talk about is just postcards. You can get public mailing lists from usually from the county website, or if you have a good realtor friend who can comb through an MLS get names and addresses. You usually can't get phone numbers or emails. It's usually just old old school mail. But you can compile those lists. And I started doing this just with white index cards that I'd throw in my laser printer and the printer would clog up and all that. But they're the most basic. If you ever go into a grocery store and you see like the generic brand, like the beer, where it just says beer in black letters, that's my first postcard. And it was on purpose, very basic. And it was one of those things where my message to owners was, hey, we're kind of no frills. If you want it done right the first time, call us. It wasn't color pictures or anything. I did attract a lot of owners, but these days, now that I've matured as a business, it wasn't necessarily the right kind of owner and the right kind of messages I was sending out. These days, we send out big, giant, full-color postcards and, and all that kind of stuff. We still use the MLS listings or the ownership records from the county, but we do segment those out by building, by neighborhood, and send a different message to each of those owners. Some other things we do, working with realtors. I am actually not a, a licensed real estate broker in Colorado, but I do work with a whole bunch of different brokers and educating them on what we can do to help them sell. Uh, we allow them to use our professional pictures when they're putting a listing up so they don't have to hire a photographer. We'll do it for them. It makes your listing go a lot faster and cuts down on their costs. So just trying to be more friends with more realtors and just uh, be easier to work with as far as showings and, and that sort of thing. A lot of friends actually in the Outer Banks and stuff are realtors, and that really is a huge lead source. So if you're thinking about getting your real estate license, I'm going to tell you it's probably going to be advantageous to you to, to go ahead and do that. Uh, some other things we do, you know, as you get leads in, make sure you're organized. We use a professional lead system. It's actually called BASE. Uh, there's a number of them out there. You don't need anything that fancy. Uh, there's one called, it's by Freshworks. It's called Fresh Sales, which is a pretty nice one, easy, clean one. But you certainly don't need Salesforce or anything like that. But definitely having some sort of a system that will remind you that leads are, are popping back up or when you should follow up with people again. But just mining through your old list, all those people that you didn't get last year or even seven years ago, call them and say, hey, how's your property manager doing? And they're like, oh, man, I'm so glad you called. This guy really made me mad this year. So that's a really good source. These days we have several thousand people who uh, either sold their property, maybe they bought another one, just follow up with those people over and over. So those are kind of my big three big ones is realtors, postcards, and just following your old list, even though you think they might be dead. On the postcards, for instance, your philosophy on the postcards, Sarah and I were just talking offline here a minute ago about the fact that you don't necessarily expect a response every single time you send a postcard out, but that cumulative effect of being in the junk drawer when they make that decision to change companies, you want to be the guy they remember last, uh, right? So uh, tell me about your philosophy, how long you keep somebody on the list, what's your measure of success? When I first started this, I sent one postcard a week and just for literally two months all the way through the buying season, which in Colorado is the summer season. 
And so I just kept it up. And most people don't really jump ship during the ski season for us. There's a few real estate transactions and that sort of thing. But marketing during the ski season doesn't tend to really bring a lot in. But as soon as the ski season ends or right toward the end of ski season, starting to fire up that stream of postcards. And we usually try to hit people once a week for about three weeks, sometimes with the same card, sometimes with different cards. And it can get expensive because you need a lot of different variations of cards. But if you hit them once a week for three weeks and then give them like a couple week break, hit them again three times, you tend to get people like, man, I see you everywhere. What's actually happening is if you have a good campaign with Google AdWords and some remarketing where it brings up those banners on like Fox News or CNN or wherever, they might pick up the postcard at home and like type it into their phone and then all of a sudden type in our website in their phone. And then wherever they go, there's got banner ads following them everywhere. And it's kind of a cool thing because that's that one postcard, even if they have no intent to call, they might type in and just look in the website, but now we're everywhere and we're following them around. And that tends to work pretty darn well. Overall, owners are over 45 years old and don't quite understand retargeting yet. And until they do, I say you take advantage of retargeting to them because they think that you must market on CNN. Right. They think that oh, yeah. they somehow have cracked the code of national marketing on the Today Show. So I love that. Hey, Peter, question for you. We used to send postcards just in that selling season. You know, I'm in the ski industry as well. But now we're finding that people are buying properties all year long. So it used to be we're adding a lot in September and October. And now we're getting calls in March. Are you starting to send postcards year round now or still in that little time frame? You know, we're still in that time frame. We haven't. I did experiments a few years ago just to start blasting postcards out during the ski season just to see what would happen. The cards were really targeted around mistakes other people were making. Has your property management company allowed somebody to smoke in your property? Just really basic stuff that gets under people's skin. And I didn't really get that much response. People definitely didn't want to interrupt their revenue stream. They're going to just stick it out through the end of ski season. By the end of ski season, owners are ready to move on if someone has made a mistake. And understand, owners, this is like car insurance. Like, when's the last time you shopped car insurance? Like, never ago? Like, if you're happy with your property manager, there's no reason to shop. And so our job as a vacational manager is to throw some doubt in there. What could be better? Is the grass greener on our side? Heck, yes, it is. So that's uh, kind of a cool tactic that we end up using. I've noticed that's what some of the virtual managers are doing is they're getting they're sending letters over and over saying you could be doing better. And I think a lot of our owners are going, oh, I thought I was doing as best as I could be, but maybe I should call these guys. So last question on that around new owner marketing is your messaging. I heard you say that you send different messages to different neighborhoods or different types of properties. Tell us a little bit more about that. Like, well, how would you change one message for one owner to another in the same postcard mailing? And then what message has worked the best? A lot of this stuff is really built around, you caught me here without a single postcard on my desk. I usually have these things all over the place. But a lot of this stuff is kind of the basic features, 24-7 availability, in-house housekeeping, in-house maintenance, where the people on the ground. Our real big message that we still use today is property management done right the first time. None of this nickel-diming, none of this fluff, right? We just do it right the first time. And a lot of people like to hear that. So that's kind of our central message that we have. Depending on what kind of property you're marketing to, take a huge exterior shot of the building. Sometimes uh, we've done a few campaigns, we call it rogue marketing, go out in front of a house that you want to manage, take a picture of it, send them a postcard. 
some really good apps for doing that. And there's one called TouchNote that I used to do where you can take a picture, create the postcard right there on your phone and hit send and they'll automatically print it and send it. Really cool stuff. But that kind of got us in trouble a few times. And people were like, what are you doing outside my house? But that was successful for a couple houses that I really, really wanted to go after. Have a good, beautiful picture on the outside of the building. I tend to not logo it up and put too much junk on the front because, gee, they might really like that picture and put it on their fridge, which I really want them to do. So I don't try not to clutter it up too much. I might put my logo down the bottom corner on the back of the postcard. And then the other side just talks about you know, all of our features. So if it's a high-end property, we're talking about our high-end maintenance care team and what we do, how great our housekeeping is, that sort of thing. If it's something more of a commodity-type property, we're talking about our ability to generate revenue, especially that tends to be kind of the target market for you know your one- and two-bedroom owners who aren't quite ski and ski out. So there's some different messages out there. And just from your own experience, different neighborhoods, you should know as a property manager, which ones perform better, which ones don't, and what kind of people buy buy those types of properties. Peter, I want to move you along now to the next step, if you will. And I wondered, first of all, if you have a screening process, for lack of a better word, to make sure it's a good fit when you get that owner interested. And then once you have one that you want and he wants you, how you close the deal. Yes, it's very important to screen your owners as they come in. There are every owner you can imagine out there, as we've all experienced. Really what I'm looking for is kind of the average owner. I don't want somebody who is going to block their property year-round and let me use Christmas only. I also don't want the owner who is very concerned about price and cost. Those kind of people will end up causing some issues down the road. It's just not a good fit for our company and the owner. So a lot of my qualifying questions are, oh, you're buying a property. What kind of property? But I usually preface this on the phone with a new owner. Like, I'm going to barrage you with a whole bunch of questions. Is that okay? And they're like, oh, of course. And so I just kind of run them through a gamut of few questions of how big is the property? Where is it? And right there, you'll, you'll know what kind of neighborhood you're in, and you already have a kind of an idea of who is buying this property. Are they further away from the ski slopes? Are they trying to save money here? What are they after? Next thing I'll ask them for is their goals for their property. Is this a pure investment, some sort of investment with personal use when you plan on using the property? What's your revenue goal? What kind of cost do you need to cover? And that's just a really bold way of asking, are, you, are your expectations in line with what I'm about to tell you? Some people will tell you, oh, this thing has, it's going to pay for itself, no problem. Well, I'm sorry, I can't earn $500,000 a year for you. (laughs) It's not going to happen. So that's a really bold question. That question again is, (laughs) how much do you need to make on this property? And then immediately you can tell, okay, this is a reasonable person or qualified or not. Throughout the conversation, you're going to go through some questions and ask you about costs and if they can go clean themselves and try to save money. And if they start asking those kind of save the money kind of questions, this could be a little bit of a thorn in your side as you progress through the next ski season or the busy season. So just I usually sit here with a sticky note and do the little uh, four lines and across, across. And those are my red flags. If I hit five, I don't want to work with that owner. But they're, they're usually pretty small red flags that we can overcome pretty quickly. Get five X's? Is that what you get? Five crosses. Five flags, you know, the little four lines and a hash across. Yeah. So I don't even write down the reasons. I just, as, I, as soon as I hear a red flag, I make a mark. So if that person gets five marks, I, I start guiding them elsewhere. Okay. So, <laughs> so let me ask you when you guide them elsewhere. Such a touchy subject. There's two times when I struggle with it. One, where I like them on the phone and then I go see their property and they're not going to upgrade it and it's like, ew, I have to tell them no. 
And then the other one is when they have a great home or property, but all of the five hash marks, maybe there's 20 hash marks, and you know you can't work with this person. How do you say it? I kind of try to set the expectation on the phone, even without seeing their property. Most of the time it's on the MLS and you can Google it and find it. And it's like, okay, yeah, that, that one's okay. But if it's a family heirloom that came with Keystone when it was built in the 1970s, and we've actually had a few of these this last year where dad doesn't ski anymore. He's 99 years old. And the son who's 60 is, is like, I don't ski. I don't really want this. Can we rent it? And it's one of those things where immediately, no, I don't want your house. But when you go through and start, and one, one of the lines that I use is people want to vacation in a place that's nicer than where they live. And I usually try to repeat that a few times during the phone call, and it starts setting the expectation of like, oh, gee, where do I like to vacation? They start thinking about that, and I try to lead them through that process of when you go on vacation, what do you look for? Granite countertops, stainless steel appliances? Well, if your house has white appliances and old-school 70s tile McDonald's floor countertops, we, we're going to have to talk about this. And so we've, you're, it's, it's a longer process for sure, but you can stepwise get an owner through some upgrades before you start taking on the property and be their eyes and ears and logistics person with contractors while they're doing it. And then it's, it's a slam dunk right, in the, right into your property management system. What, how do you break it to them when it's just an owner you know will be a bad fit? They've asked too many five slash marks. What do you say? We're a pretty upfront company. I don't think we're going to be a good fit for you. And the reason is that I'll go through some very gentle reasons, such as your amount of use. We're a company for profit. And with this amount of use, it, it's going to cost us money. So it's not really worth this. There's a variety of reasons you can use. But there's other competitors. You know your competitors in your local marketplace. There are options out there. So I'll, I'll go ahead and give them my competitor's website or, or contact info or anything like that. So it's something where it is a, a kind of a delicate subject, but there's really no other way than to just rip off the Band-Aid and just tell them why you don't want to work with them or you just don't answer their phone anymore. <laughs> we warned you in advance that we have a lightning round. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. So we have these inane questions that we've come up with, and you can answer them as detailed or as brief as you wish, but we have our list. So start the clock, contract cleaners or employees? Employees. Let me, let me phrase that. Background checked employees. Ski or snowboarding? Uh, my daughter loves skiing, but I'm a big snowboarder, so I'm snow about snowboarding. Eh. Wrong answer. (laughs) (laughs) Favorite social media outlet for your business? Oh, I don't like social media, but I think in general I do like Facebook. Annual deep clean or clean as you go? Both. Big fan of annual deep cleans. Uh, We just can't keep up in a time frame like March. But, you know, even doing deep cleans a couple times a year, kind of a big main deep clean, then a mini deep clean in the fall seems to work well. Sorry, that was a long answer for lightning. (laughs) There was a little thunder there, too. (laughs) Hardwood or carpet? Hardwood. Bath towels on the bed or hung in the bathrooms? Oh, dang. Uh, On the bed. Yes. So does Tim, Peter. I said he puts towels on the bed, and Tim says, well, so do I. So I guess it's a it's a dude thing. You know what it is? I'm going to pause your lightning round if that's okay. So in the Outer Banks, and basically you're the vast majority of all vacation rentals are Florida, the whole eastern seaboard, um, there's critters. 
and critters crawl around underneath sinks and all that kind of stuff. And it's very common to spray really nasty insecticides under cabinets and in sinks, you know, underneath sinks and that sort of thing. So if you hang up your towels, where do you put the spares? Well, typically under the sink in the mountains. You can do that because we don't have critters like that uh, where you need to spray anything. And it is clean under there. However, the perception, when you think about, was it 80-something percent of all vacation rentals in the United States are all on the eastern seaboard? That's a lot of people who have been in a vacation rental before who are now just kind of coming to the mountains and think that that is gross. So that's why we put them on the bed. Second answer to that is when the inspector comes in, they're not searching around for enough towels or anything. It's like boom, 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 done. We got we got eight towels here. We're good. So it speeds up their process immensely and not having to look underneath sinks. Okay. Bed spreads provided by the management company or allow your owner to do whatever they want? Allow the owner to do what they want within reason. Front desk check-in or keyless entry? Oh, boy, you're killing me here. Both, actually. We, we, we do have a full front desk check-in. We don't yet have keyless entry. A lot of that's because of our HOAs in, in Keystone have a building entrance where you need a key card to get in, so it gets a little more difficult. And one of the things I don't like to do I'm sorry, I'm going to take you guys' whole podcast over your 30 minutes. (laughs) One thing that I like about the front desk check-in is that face-to-face interaction. Anytime you have a face-to-face or phone touch point with a guest, take it. If you can have that happen, make it happen. Coming from a techie. Okay, last one for me. Owner guest books in the property. Yes or no, and why? No. You know, sometimes people, we used to have these put some really racially charged stuff in there. In our community, we have a lot of migrant housekeepers. They come in for a few months from Mexico or seasonal. And I don't like having those nasty comments sitting out there without me knowing about it and not being able to do something about it. So that's why online feedback is so much better to have because you're aware of it. There's something you can do about it. You can put a manager comment on there. Uh, but guest books, most of the time, kids get a hold of them. They just scribble over the place and make a huge mess of it. Well, I'm going to jump in here as well and dovetail what you just said there. There's another reason that I don't like them, and that is that there was a case, again, in the North Carolina area, in the Outer Banks where I work, where a case was made where someone wrote something in a guest book about something malfunctioning in a house, and the court took that as the management company getting written notice about the problem and of course they didn't read the book and so they didn't act on the written notice and they were found liable so wow guest books are dangerous that's incredible i had never heard that but it makes sense i'll be removing all guest books tomorrow (laughs) from all properties okay last one peter are you ready for this yes when you go meet with an owner in person jeans or dress pants Jeans and my professional shirt today, it's embroidered. You got to look good, but you also have to act the part that you're there in the mountains as well. So that brings us to not so hot off the press, but definitely happening. And Sarah, you've got it this week, and we'll get our guest's perspective on this as well. All right, Peter, I don't know if you saw the article that's coming out in VRM Intel, besides the article that I put in the VRM Intel. That's you? The article about Turnkey, and I think, is it John Banzak is the head of Turnkey? And they have just announced they got $31 million in venture capital, I guess you'd say, to grow their company even more, which gets back to our topic today. There'll be even more letters going to owners and more phone calls and more emails. 
pestering our owners. But 31 million bucks going to a company that's really quite new. It's amazing how much money venture capitalists are throwing into our industry. What do you think about that, Peter? You're probably going to be shocked when I say this, but I think these guys present an opportunity. There's virtual managers such as Evolve Vacation Rentals. What's interesting, I'm going to go long-winded here for you. I have a friend of mine. His father passed away, and he inherited a house that is near a ski area in Pennsylvania. And I was hanging out with him, just having some beers, and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to put it up for vacation rental. I'm like, why didn't you call me, man? I, this is what I do. He's like, well, I'm just going to get this virtual manager to help me out. And I'm like, what the? No way. You can't do that. And I'm like, surely there's somebody on the ground nearby that does this. And let's do some searching. So it's a Sunday afternoon. I'm just pecking away on my phone. And I find this, something similar. This lady has two houses on her property that in like 20 acres. And it's been, she's been in business for years, just maybe two miles down the road. So I call her, leave a message. So the next day, my buddy calls me and he's like, hey, you know it was he was going with Evolve. He's like, Evolve found this this person. I'm like, who is it? It's like, by by golly, it's that same lady. <laughs> and he ended up going with Evolve, and Evolve was uh, was very upfront about how things work and and that sort of thing. But it, what I realized is it presents an opportunity for us property managers on the ground. What is to prevent us from approaching a virtual manager and saying, hey? you know what, we're the guy on the ground, we're going to check your guest in, we're going to do the housekeeping, the maintenance, the guest services, the whole nine yards just for you. And we're going to be competitively priced for doing that. That way you don't have to find every little Joe off the street to go do housekeeping and maintenance or whatever. I think there's an opportunity there to work with the vacation rental managers. These guys are just trying to get their, grow the number of properties, grow the number of owners, expand their marketing reach and all that kind of stuff. But I think there's a there might be a good opportunity there to sell your services that you already have the infrastructure for on the ground. You are really on point today, Peter. Thank you so much for doing this. You are fantastic. Thank you. Okay, gang, that'll do it for this week. We have another exciting guest coming up next time from my neck of the woods. But for now, thanks, sir. Thanks, Tim. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Peter, and enjoy the mud season. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening to Sea to Ski with Sarah and T, professional vacation rental managers podcast brought to you by Sarah Bradford of Winter Park Lodging Company and Steamboat Lodging Company, as well as Tim Cafferty of Outer Banks Blue and Sandbridge Blue Realty Services. Together, Sarah and Tim manage more than 600 privately owned vacation rental properties, and both are regarded as experts in the vacation rental management industry. Music provided by Ben Sound. We encourage your participation on this podcast by sharing it with friends, and please feel free to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Comments or reviews on this particular podcast can be made on their website, Sea to Ski with SarahNT.com, where you can also subscribe to the podcast as well as provide them feedback on this episode or give them ideas for future topics. We look forward to speaking with you next time on Sea to Ski with Sarah and T.